0: On Tuesday, Hillary Clinton vowed that she would shut down tax havens used by rich people. Here's what she said to the AFL-CIO, quote, Some of you may have heard about these disclosures about outrageous tax havens and loopholes that super rich people across the world are exploiting in Panama and elsewhere. We're going after all of these scams and make sure everyone pays their fair share here in America. I'm going to hold them accountable. Question, has Hillary Clinton ever actually met Hillary Clinton? You know, the lady who used the Clinton Foundation as a slush fund, the New York Post reported last April on its 2013 tax forms, which are the most recent available, the foundation claimed that it spent $30 million on payroll and employee benefits, $9 million in rent and office expenses, $9 million on conferences, conventions and meetings, $8 million on fundraising and $8.5 million on travel. Charity Navigator refused to rate the Clinton Foundation because, quote, it's a typical business model doesn't meet our criteria. So Hillary apparently has never met herself, and I have lots of evidence of this. So, for example, all the way back in September, she tweeted, quote, to every survivor of sexual assault, you have the right to be heard. You have the right to be believed. We are with you. That's what Hillary Clinton tweeted, you know, the same lady who went after Juanita Broderick and who slandered all of te- all of her husband's various mistresses as bimbos and, and talked about how they were just out to to get her husband. And, you know, the same lady who once laughed about defending a rapist, that lady, she says that all people who allege sexual assault ought to be, ought to be believed, because Hillary has never met Hillary. How about this one? In September, she said, quote, we have to end the flood of secret, unaccountable money that is distorting our elections, corrupting our political system, and drowning out the voices of too many everyday Americans. Yeah, Hillary Clinton said that, you know, after her husband's administration was enmeshed in a Chinese fundraising scandal and the Mark Rich pardon scandal. She said that after the Clinton Foundation revelations. Or how about in January, Hillary said, quote, there should be no bank too big to fail and no individual too powerful to jail. Yes, Hillary Clinton said that. She is the individual too powerful to jail. Or in 2014, she told a group of her supporters that political candidates, quote, have to be willing to answer the tough questions. It should be disqualifying to avoid answering questions. Hillary Clinton has answered a grand total of about seven questions in this election cycle, and most of them have to do with her grandbaby. In November, she told Jimmy Kimmel, quote, Seriously, it really does matter what you're saying when you're president, and it probably should matter what you say when you're running for president. This is the same lady who said that it didn't matter what difference did it make, whether she was blaming the death of four Americans in Benghazi on a YouTube video. I think most ironic of all is what she said just a couple of weeks ago, late March. She penned these words, quote, I will work to save and protect the lives of our nation's children. Hillary Clinton believes that you have the right to an abortion up to the point of birth. But Hillary Clinton has never met Hillary Clinton. She's completely foreign to Hillary Clinton, which is, of course, why she looks so awkward all the time, because Hillary doesn't know Hillary. Now Donald Trump infamously said there are two Donald Trumps. There are two Hillary Clintons, too. The one who does corrupt and insanely leftist things and the one who talks about it as though she's never met that Hillary Clinton. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So much to get to here on a Thursday, and we will get to all of it. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at Hillsdale College. The American presidency, it is the most powerful office in the world, but it is not all-powerful. It is not an empire. It's not a monarchy. You're not Napoleon. But all the candidates, or at least a lot of them, seem to view the presidency as an accumulation of all the powers that were delegated in the Constitution, that the president should have legislative power and judicial power and executive power. If you want to know more about what the presidency is supposed to do and how it's been betrayed by literally about eight generations of presidents, then all you have to do is go over to hillsdale.edu slash Ben. They have a new course there, a new course, and the course is called presidency and the constitution hillsdale.edu/ben and it's for adults it's for kids hillsdale college is a great place to send your kids it's also a great place for you as an adult to get educated about the issues that matter they have an econ- they have an economics course they have a they have a constitution course and their latest is about the presidency sign up for free at hillsdale.edu/ben you get a new lesson every week right in your inbox from hillsdale's professors and you learn how the constitution protects us from would-be dictators so long as we know it okay so obviously the the races are both heating up on both sides of the aisle the races are heating up and i want to start with the democrat side of the aisle today because we spent a lot of time on the republican side of the aisle where even my old friends at breitbart news are now projecting that donald trump is not going to have the requisite number of delegates to win the nomination on the first ballot and if he doesn't win the nomination on the first ballot he is certainly not going to win the nomination past that he's just too crazy if donald trump had any presidential ability whatsoever if Donald Trump were able to turn it down from an 11 to even a 9, then maybe. But, but if he goes in and he's short the delegates, no way they give him the nomination because he's just too alienating. The man has negatives higher than any politician in, a, in modern American history. On the other side of the aisle, however, it's easy to forget just what a crappy candidate Hillary Clinton is. And Bernie Sanders is showing what a crappy candidate she is because Bernie Sanders is a terrible candidate. He's a, a 74-year-old socialist loon bag from Vermont. Who, who speaks like, like a parody of a New York Jewish rabbi. I mean, Bernie Sanders is awful in every way. He doesn't know anything about, about economics. He doesn't know anything about how the world actually works. He thinks that Cuba and the Soviet Union are just halcyons of decency and equality. So Hillary Clinton has now been forced to get into the mud with Bernie Sanders. They're getting into the mud with each other, which is basically the most unattractive mud wrestling contest anyone has ever fantasized about. Hillary Clinton started it. It wasn't Sanders. She, she, like Trump, likes to claim that she's always hitting back. Hillary is almost always the aggressor. Hillary Clinton said that the other day that, that Bernie Sanders is not qualified for the presidency, essentially, because he hasn't done his homework. This followed hard on Hillary Clinton reading and talking about Bernie Sanders' interview with the New York Daily News, which we talked about yesterday, where Bernie Sanders demonstrated he doesn't know about anything, but he likes to say equality and fairness a lot. Because those are the only two words he remembers, because he may, in fact, be borderline senile. Hillary Clinton went after him for this. Here's what Hillary had to say about Bernie Sanders doing his homework.
1: So, the question, and I'm serious, if you weren't running today and you looked at Bernie Sanders, would you say this guy is ready to be president of the United States?
2: Well, I think he hadn't done his homework, and he'd been talking for more than a year about doing things that he obviously hadn't really studied or understood. Uh and that does raise a lot of questions. And really what it goes to is for voters to ask themselves, can he deliver what he's talking about? Can he really help people? What do you can think can he help our economy? Can he keep our country strong? Well, obviously, I think I'm by far the better choice. But do, and, he, but do you think you know,
1: he is qualified and do you think he is able to deliver on the things he is promising to all of these Democratic voters?
2: Well, let me put it this way, Joe. I think that what he has been saying about the core issue in his whole campaign uh, doesn't seem to be rooted in an understanding of either the law or the practical ways you get something done. Okay. And I
0: right. I mean Hillary's saying he's unqualified. That's what she's saying. And, and she says, "I'm going to leave it to voters. I called him unqualified, but you make the decision as to whether I called him unqualified." So Bernie Sanders responds, and he responds in kind. And that's basically been his pattern throughout the campaign. Hillary has been supremely vicious to Bernie Sanders. She sent out David Brock to suggest that Bernie Sanders doesn't care about black lives. She sent out surrogates to say that Bernie Sanders is a sexist for deigning to run against the most powerful vagina humanity has ever seen. And and this is the campaign that she's run, and he's responded. I mean, the way that he's responded is by saying that Hillary Clinton is basically entitled, that Hillary Clinton... Uh, is, is, is not sufficiently leftist, right? She's not sufficiently ideologically pure. He stayed away from, from her corruption for the most part. Um, but Bernie Sanders finally hit her back yesterday. He finally kind of unchained the dogs. He, he, he let the dogs out, so to speak. Woof, 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 woof. And here was Bernie Sanders going after Hillary Clinton saying, she too is unqualified. Remember, Hillary hit first. Here's Bernie responding.
3: She has been saying lately that she thinks that I am quote unquote not qualified to be president. Well, let me let me just say in response the Secretary Clinton, I don't believe that she is qualified if she is if she is through her super PAC, taking tens of millions of dollars in special interest funds. I don't think that you are qualified if you get 15 million dollars from Wall Street through your super PAC. I don't think you are if you have voted for the disastrous war
0: in Iraq. And so there's Bernie Sanders unleashing his inner llama. The llama is free and it's roaming the earth. And he's right. Okay, for, from a leftist perspective, he's right. Hillary Clinton pretends to be sufficiently left, but she takes lots of money from Wall Street. She did vote for the war in Iraq. He's not even going after the parts where she's most vulnerable. He's still being nice. Right? Hillary Clinton is a criminal. She's a felon. She hid classified information on her private server and had all of her aides set up private servers so that none of this would be subject to the scrutiny of the public. And she put all of our national security information that went through her inbox at risk in order to protect herself, right? Hillary Clinton is a criminal. She is a criminal, but he's not attacking her on that. He's attacking her precisely the same way she attacked him. She says Bernie Sanders is unqualified because he's ignorant about law, and he says she's unqualified because she is not sufficiently leftist. Now, watch as Hillary's spokespeople play victim. So this is the game Hillary plays. She hits first, and then if you hit her back, she says, oh, but I'm a girl. But I'm a girl. How dare he? How dare he do this? It's so, it's so terrible. How could Bernie Sanders possibly hit a girl like this? It's, it's, it's one of the most amusing things about some of the most militant feminists like Hillary Clinton, that they proclaim constantly that men and women are not just equal, they are identical, right? That they ought to be treated identically. But the minute that Hillary is treated like any other politician... They immediately run for the hills and it turns into, well, I am woman and and he really should treat me with more respect. Here's Hillary's spokesperson tearing into Bernie Sanders saying, "Well, well, I don't even know why he's coming after us this way. It's just so cruel. It's just so vicious and mean. So here's what Hillary's press secretary, Brian Fallon, said. He went on Twitter and he said, quote, Hillary Clinton did not say that Bernie Sanders was not qualified, but he has now absurdly said it about her. This is a new low. Facing long odds, Bernie Sanders is inventing grievances and non-existent paths to the nomination to rile his supporters and keep the fundraising spigot on. Bernie Sanders, take back your words about Hillary Clinton. It's so hurtful. It's so harmful. Listen, you listen to that clip uh, that Hillary said, right? She was calling him unqualified. This is, this is exactly the same thing as when Donald Trump says Heidi Cruz is ugly. And then a week later, he says, oh, no, I thought it was a fine picture of Heidi Cruz. And th- these are the lies that the Clinton campaign tells. But they're, they're feeling threatened. They're feeling threatened, and so they're going after Bernie Sanders now, and they're going after him in harsh fa- fashion. And for the first time, it's beginning to occur to Bernie Sanders in that crazy loon bag mind of his. It's beginning to finally occur to Bernie Sanders. He might be able to actually steal this nomination away from her. The, the race on the Democratic side is significantly closer than the race on, on the Republican side in terms of both delegates and also in terms of the percentages of votes that are, that are being won. Donald Trump's only won about 37% of all Republican votes. Bernie Sanders is solidly in the 40s, and he's won six of the last seven states in six in a row. Bernie Sanders actually has some momentum right now. And so Bernie Sanders has decided to double down on that momentum. He said today, as I've been predicting this for literally months, literally, I hate saying I told you so. That's a lie. I love saying I told you so because I say it so often. And it's just one of my favorite things to say. But I've been saying for months that if Bernie Sanders actually wanted to win the nomination, he should endorse slavery reparations. He needs to win minority votes. The best way to do that, unfortunately, if you're a Democrat, is to pander nonsensically. Now Bernie Sanders is doing it. He says he wants to formally apologize for slavery. I wasn't aware Bernie Sanders held slaves, but I guess that's a new revelation. He wants to apologize for slavery. And also Bernie Sanders says he wants a form of reparations. Here's what he had to say.
3: Senator Sanders, will you, if the next president of the United States, make that necessary and overdue apology? Want the short answer? (laughs) Yes. The slave clean acknowledged okay. truth. Now, truth is not always an easy thing, right, yeah. and a lot of things that we have done in this country are <laughs>
0: shameful, and we've got to recognize that and own up to it. So the answer is yes. And then he went on to say that he wouldn't endorse open slavery reparations, but he wanted some sort of reparations, basically through socialist redistribution, which has been his case all along. He's just now couching it in terms of race. The rationale for this, obviously, is that Bernie Sanders wants to win some black votes in states coming up. And he feels like if he appeals to black voters by saying this sort of stuff, then he'll be able to to edge Hillary out. I've been saying that if he wanted to win, he ought to be doing he should have been doing this months ago. I will say that Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, th- this sort of language is morally bereft. OK, it's, th- talk about virtue signaling. Is there anybody in America who's pro-slavery? Like anybody who thinks slavery was a great idea? Of course not. OK, slavery died in the United States, thank God, over 150 years ago. But Bernie Sanders is going around suggesting that we all have to apologize for the sin of slavery. Listen, I don't apologize for things that my ancestors did 150 years ago because I wasn't involved in those things. And I don't think that Christians need to apologize to me for the Crusades. I don't think that, that Germans who were born 20 years ago need to apologize to me for the Holocaust. I don't think any of that is relevant or necessary. Why I should apologize for the slavery, I wasn't part of it. I think slavery is evil. And by the way, So did hundreds of thousands of white Americans who died in order to get rid of the institution of slavery during the Civil War 150 years ago. So why should all of America apologize when half of America fought to erase slavery, went to war, bled and died to erase slavery, white people dying on the battlefields to free black people who are being held by other white people? I mean, you want to talk about a race war, that is the opposite of a race war. It's white people fighting other white people to free black people. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing moral moment. For the United States. Right. But but Bernie Sanders plays it as though slavery is the enduring legacy as opposed to the opposition to slavery and the fighting of slavery and the civil rights movement and all the rest of it. it. It's really it's really quite sickening. And it's this sort of stuff that actually leads black communities to a sense of victimhood that does not help their children. If you tell your kids, no matter what, they're victims of a society that still thinks slavery is OK, then, you know, you're 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 bound to create a generation of dependent children. Because if they really believe that the decisions they make are being, being quashed by a system of people who are still secretly pro-slavery, you know, unlike Bernie Sanders, who's a really good guy who dislikes slavery, you're going to create dependency and misery for, for generation upon generation. But pause here and say hello to our other sponsors, Reagan.com. Folks, if you are worried about the government or corporations looking for your private information, and they do, they mine your information from various companies, from email companies, you need to go to our friends over at ReaganPrivacy.com. There are a couple of things you get when you, when you subscribe to and work with ReaganPrivacy.com. The first thing that you get is an email address, your name at which is cool, right? I mean, because everybody loves Ronald Reagan, so that's a neat thing. And, and then, second of all, they pledge to you that none of your information will ever be handed over to the government or to private corporations to market to you. So it's a good way of protecting all your private information in an age when everybody is out to get that information. If you go to reaganprivacy.com right now, you get two weeks free. So go to reaganprivacy.com right now, check it out. Okay, so on one side of the aisle, you have Hillary Clinton, who's really feeling the arthritic fingers of, of Bernie Sanders beginning to encircle her cankle. And on the other side, you have Donald Trump, who's beginning to feel uneasy. He's feeling uneasy. And so he's entered into basically two separate strategies two separate strategies. One is more Trumpism, where he's gonna double down on being Donald Trump. And the other is that he's going to now try to be a policy wonk. Neither of these strategies is destined for tremendous success. So first, the more Donald Trump side of, well, well, actually let's start with the policy side of Donald Trump. So Trump senior policy advisor, Stephen Miller, who is a friend of mine, and Stephen I've known for many, many years. He worked for Jeff Sessions in the Senate for a long time. He was his immigration advisor moved over to the Trump campaign in the last couple of months, now he's a Trump surrogate. He says that Trump is about to give a series of detailed policy speeches, which is shocking for two reasons. One, that Trump actually has policies, and two, that Trump knows how to read. These are, these are two actual shocks. So here is Stephen Miller talking about Trump's upcoming grand policy speeches in the mold of Abraham Lincoln.
2: As you may be seen, we're going to be doing a series of policy speeches getting into more detail about the issues that have animated the campaign and then have been at the center of this election and again I would really say three of those big issues are foreign policy trade policy and immigration policy and Lou this is something you've covered so much but in those three areas the political class has drifted far away from where the voters are, whether it's reckless interventionism, whether it's shipping all of our manufacturing jobs overseas, or whether it's admitting such a large number
0: of migrant workers that you can't earn a fair wage in America. Okay, so, so he's saying that we're going to get trade speeches from Donald Trump. He's going to inform us on how trade works. Donald Trump is absolutely ignorant as to how trade works. Okay, the, the, the people who want to put up trade barriers, these are people who basically want to subsidize one class of people at the expense of other classes of people. And if you're a member of that subsidized class, I get it. If, you're, if you are a member of an industry that's dying because companies can get the labor cheaper elsewhere, I understand why you're upset. I understand why you want tariffs. You're still a welfare queen. You're still somebody who's, who's interested in, in taking corporate benefits from the government. But at least you're personally interested. If you're just somebody who doesn't understand economics, let me, expl- let me, let me break this down for you. Okay? There's a basic economic concept. It's called comparative advantage. Comparative advantage suggests that even if I, Ben Shapiro, am great at making many different types of products, I should instead specialize in the thing that I'm really good at and use the income I make from from producing that product to pay somebody else to make the other products for me. So for example, if I'm great at making laptops and I'm also great at making t-shirts, I should spend all of my time making laptops, even if I'm better at making t-shirts than you are, because laptops are a higher end product, they're more expensive, there's more of a profit margin. And then i'll take the money i use from that and i will trade it to you to make the t-shirts because if you spend all your time making t-shirts you're going to make more t-shirts than if i spend half my time making t-shirts and half my time making laptops right this is the basic concept of comparative advantage and this is why trade is good right what what the what the left and what trump as an economic leftist on trade seeks to do is get rid of the good deal in comparative advantage he wants to force everybody to make both the t-shirts and the laptops, right? So America has to make both t-shirts and laptops. Somebody tweeted me the other day on this. They said, well, it used to be in the Eisenhower era that 95% of all clothing in the United States was produced in the United States. And I said, right. And now we have iPhones, right? Because it turns out that we shipped all those jobs to Vietnam. Are we better off? Would we we be better off if if we were still making t-shirts? They are mutually exclusive. They're only 24 hours in a day, and there's only so much money on the table. How you invest that money and where you spend that time determines whether you are a developed economy or whether you are a less developed economy wasting money on inefficient resources. So all of this sounds cold because economics is not a particularly warm subject. And that's why tariffs tend to appeal to particular groups of people. But the idea that Trump is going to lay forth any sort of coherent policy is nonsense. He, 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 He will just speak slogans, right? Shipping jobs overseas as though the job is here and we just decided because we we hate Americans we're going to ship it to China. It's Bernie Sanders' trade policy. Okay? The reality is the job is is the job is a piece of labor for a wage that is negotiated. That's what a job is. It is labor for wage. That is it, it's labor it's labor for price. Right? It doesn't exist inside borders. It doesn't exist for specific groups of people. It is just labor being provided at a certain price. If you can get the better price elsewhere, you will go elsewhere and there is nothing immoral about that. What seems to me more immoral is to penalize the person who's willing to take the lower wage by saying they're not allowed to take the lower wage. But Trump will apparently talk about trade. He'll talk about immigration in detail. And, and if, if his APAC speech, is, his speech at the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee is in the indicator, when he speaks on policy, he looks slightly awkward, but he's capable of reading a teleprompter. And, and you know he'll, he'll, he'll give his policy speeches, and every so often he'll break to inform you that not only does he know about trade, he knows the most about trade because he has a very big brain and he will use his, his very big brain to come up with great, fantastic, unbelievable trade policies bigly, right? This is, this is what he will do. So I don't think that's going to work. I think most Americans look at him speaking policy. And as Samuel Johnson said in sexist fashion about a woman talking intelligently, he said it's not, he said it's like a dog walking on its hind legs. You're, you're, you're not so surprised. The, 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 the surprise comes in that the, the dog is doing it at all, that you don't expect the dog to do it well. That's Donald Trump talking policy, right? It's, it's the, the, the surprise is that he's, he's doing it at all. You don't really expect him to do it particularly well. So I don't think that's going to work. I mean, him talking policy versus Cruz talking policy, no contest. And then his second strategy is to just double down on being Trump because these are the only things in his arsenal. So his latest strategy is to deny that polls exist. So the man who has spent his entire run talking about how the polls are everything, he's winning in all the polls. Let me tell you, the polls are the most important thing. The polls are so big. The so huge, the polls, the polls. Now his advisors are saying, don't look at those polls. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Those polls don't even exist. Here's a Trump advisor explaining that women don't have an issue with Donald Trump and the polls are all just manipulated.
1: I don't agree with any of those polls and any of those numbers. Um, the media, this liberal media, comes after Mr. Trump on every. No matter what he says, they're going to the find media, something. That's not liberal media. That's just a poll. Yeah, you know, and the poll is, as far as I'm concerned, manipulated in order to come up with these. Women do not have an issue with Mr. Trump. We started. Pastor Daryl Scott and I were having a conversation. We came up with this notion of a coalition of diversity for Trump. And there's already over 150,000 people combined. You have. Muslim Americans, you have Hispanic Americans, women, you have Hispanic women, you have Sikhs, you have Indians. I mean, this coalition is growing. And if you look even on Twitter and um, online, you'll see there are all these coalitions and groups that are turning around and they're, they're out there stumping for Mr. Trump. And they always talk about African Americans um, so don't just, like Mr. You Trump. That's think that the polls That's are going to be proven to be dead wrong? Absolutely, dead wrong. And I'm, and I'm seeing just, I see every exist. single day where new people They're are calling and really don't saying, exist, how do we right? get yeah. involved His anecdotal
0: in evidence trumps your polling numbers. Your statistics don't matter because your statistics are wrong. This is the, the Trump campaign. They're in the, the realm of, of doubling down on Trump. So Trump, it, Trumpism is two things, unearned arrogance and delusion, and also attack, 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 attack. So later, the, the latest Trump attack is on Ted Cruz. It's in New York State. Cruz isn't even running second in New York State, by the way. John Kasich is running second in New York State if, true, if Trump is, is driven below 50% in a lot of the congressional districts in New York, he loses a lot of delegates. That's what he's concerned about. So he's going after Cruz very hard. He's doing so on the basis of comments that Cruz made. If you remember back to a debate a few months ago, Cruz had this to say about New York values when he attacked Donald Trump.
2: You know, I think most people know exactly what New York values are. I am from New York. Well, you're from New York, so yeah. you might not, but I promise you in the state <laughs> of South Carolina, they do. And, and listen, there are many, many wonderful, wonderful working men and women in the state of New York. But everyone understands that the values in New York City are socially liberal or pro-abortion or pro-gay marriage, focused around money and the media. And, and I guess I can, can frame it another way. Not a lot of conservatives come out of Manhattan.
0: I'm just saying. That is is true. I mean, when he's talking about New York values, that's accurate, okay? And and when people find this insulting, by the way, I find this absolutely absurd. New Yorkers are supposed to be the rudest, toughest, roughest bunch. And I said this back at the time. If somebody came to me, I'm from Los Angeles literally my entire life. I've lived in LA my entire life. If somebody said to me, well, you know, those Hollywood types with their Hollywood values. Okay, both my parents work in Hollywood. I would say, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, they're lefty. You know, L.A.'s a lefty place. If somebody said California values, you immediately go to, okay, granola-eating, Birkenstock-wearing hippies, right? That's that's where you go. Or to plastic celebrities in L.A. Now, th- those are the two places that your mind goes. That's okay if somebody says Texas values. You immediately go to the guy in the cowboy hat with the gun on his hip, right? That that That's how it is. There's nothing wrong with that. And when New Yorkers act all offended because Cruz is saying that New York values are not conservative values, I mean... You can be thin-skinned, I guess, but it sort of undercuts your argument that you're the roughest, toughest bunch out there, the people who can withstand anything. So Trump is, is is honing in on this. He's going back to the New York values comment. And here is Donald Trump going after Ted Cruz over the New York values comment.
3: There was never anything like it in this country. The worst attack in the history of the United States. The bravery that was shown was incredible. We all lived through it. We all know people that died. And I've got this guy standing over there, looking at me, talking about New York values with scorn in his face, with hatred, with hatred of New York. So folks, I think you can forget about him. And forget about him.
0: And I can't really hear what they're chanting there, but, but the bottom line is that, that, that the idea is that Ted Cruz is somehow disloyal to America because he ripped New York values. First of all, the idea that New York values are just what happened on 9-11 is, is silly. Everybody loves that New Yorkers rallied around on 9-11. By the way, it's not unique to New York. Okay, the idea that, that only New Yorkers would have acted with unity and strength in the face of 9-11 isn't true. Boston acted with unity and strength in the face of the Boston bombing. I'm... I'm I'm an American enough to believe that if this, if 9-11, God forbid, it happened, you know, a a hundred times over in various cities around the country, virtually all of those cities would react exactly the way New Yorkers did. And we we may, we may act like, when Washington, D.C. was hit on the same day and people in Washington, D.C. came together, the idea that New Yorkers are outliers when it comes to basic human decency, I don't think is true. So they get credit for being strong on 9-11, but that's not what Cruz is ripping, obviously. He's saying, what is unique to New York? What is unique to New York? is not the New York Strong. What is new, unique to New York is the brash, rude, we're socially liberal, we have a, a guy who stands, we have a naked cowboy in the middle of Times Square, we think that abortion is just a sacrament. That's what he's talking about. And again, you may not like that he said it, but that's pretty much you being thin-skinned. So, but, but they're doubling down on this. So Scott Brown, who actually also has New York values, he's a social liberal, he says that the New York values comments will, will hurt Cruz. This is the new refrain in New York from, from the anti cruz folks. And it, it will hurt Cruz, I'm sure. It's, it's not something that Cruz ever thought would matter. Cruz thought that he would have wrapped this sucker up long ago. He didn't expect Trump to win as many states as he has. He thought, I mean, the, the original line from Cruz, if you recall, was that if Cruz was going to win the nomination, he would have wrapped this sucker up by mid-March. right? That obviously hasn't happened. He didn't think that New York would ever matter. It does. But here's Scott Brown going after Cruz on the New York values comment.
1: I just want to refer back to some of the comments uh, that Ted Cruz uh, just was talking about, about jobs and job creation, with respect to Ted, who I like. And if he's a nominee, I'll support him. The only person in this race who's actually created jobs is Donald Trump, especially in New York. And this New York mm-hmm. values comment is absolutely going to crush Ted Cruz, because I know New Yorkers as you know New Yorkers, and they're very, very proud, mm-hmm. especially after mm-hmm. 9-11, how they so heroically came together. And I thought Donald Trump was at his best when he made that reference and corrected him, and scolded him
0: for his attitude towards New Yorkers. So I think Donald's going to win big in New York. I'm old enough to remember when people objected to Rudy Giuliani citing 9-11, Okay, the actual mayor of New York on 9-11. I'm old enough to remember when this was, was considered bad form and bad taste, but Trump immediately goes to 9-11, and Scott Brown goes to 9-11, and everybody just sort of shrugs, as though the only thing that characterizes New York is 9-11. Again, that's, that's simply not true, any more than when Ted Cruz talks about Washington, D.C. values, which he does. He means... Oh, the people, he, he must be ripping the people who responded with bravery at the Pentagon. It's, it's just silly talk. It's like, here's Ted Cruz responding to the New York values stuff in the Bronx. Here in the state of New York, you know, when I talked about New York values, it was interesting just a minute ago, I was
2: meeting with a significant number of Hispanic pastors of African American pastors here in the Bronx. And, and one of those pastors, Senator Ruben Diaz, who was a democratic state senator who hosted the gathering Senator Diaz said, I know exactly what you mean by New York values. We fight them every day in our community. We fight them. They're the values that led, for example, Mayor Bill de Blasio. Liberal Democrat, upon getting elected mayor, one of the first things he did was to try to shut down charter schools in Harlem. Because he is captive... To the union bosses who control him, so one of his first actions was to try to throw young African American and Hispanic kids out of the schools that were giving them hope and giving them a lifeline. Those are the values. It's the values of the liberal Democratic politicians that have been hammering the people of New York for a long time. So they they, they have been suffering.
3: Values. Why I call them New York values well, when you're in New York campaigning?
2: Let's be, let's be clear. The people of New York know exactly what those values are. They're the values of liberal Democratic politicians. Like Andrew Cuomo, like Anthony Weiner, like Elliot Spitzer, like Charlie Rangel, all of whom Donald Trump has supported, given tens of thousands of dollars throughout the years. If you want to know what liberal democratic values are, follow Donald Trump's checkbook. He has been funding these policies.
0: Okay, and and of course all of this is right. It's not going to help Cruz, obviously, because. Apparently, there are a lot of thin-skinned voters, but I, I would just urge everybody to stop being quite so thin-skinned and look at the policy instead of the, the, the verbiage. But again, you know, not a smart political move for, for Cruz in retrospect, obviously, but nobody could have predicted how this thing was going go, to go, be, to be fair to Cruz. Okay, time for some things I like, and then a couple of things I hate, and then the mailbag. So, thing I like, there's a new trailer out for the new Star Wars flick Rogue One, and it looks really good. Here's, here's some of the trailer.
2: State your name for the record. Jin Erso.
1: Forgery of Imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15. Reckless, aggressive and
2: undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel.
1: We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent.
2: We need to know what it okay, is. So,
0: so that, that's enough. So this the bottom line here is that this is the the origin story for how they the got the plans for the original Death Star that Luke Skywalker blew up. At some point, they'll make a Star Wars movie that doesn't center on the Death Star. <laughs> but this was obviously the origin story of, of that. Uh, the, the theory, there are a couple theories that are floating around as to who this gal is. Um. Some people online who are, who are more of the fretful types, they say, well, she's just another Mary Sue, which is a term in science fiction, uh, meaning that it's just some girl who's absolutely heroic and perfect in every way, like Katniss Aberdeen, uh who stands out in every way. And you don't really know how she got her skill set. She just has it. Uh, and, and so they're saying this is just another one of those. Disney has been attempting to promote female heroines over and over in these flicks because originally the series was very male-centric. I don't happen to care very much about that. You know, if it's a girl, it's a girl. If it's a guy, it's a guy. It annoys me if they're purposefully going overboard, but aside from that, I, I really don't care. The, the the part of this that the, so so the other theory is that this this gal is going to end up basically being Ray's mom. You know, from the from the new Star Wars flick, that this 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 gal will end up being the mother of Ray, She will end up being a lover of Luke, basically, and uh, and they together will produce this child. So the movies will will end up tying together. That's that's the going theory here. So we'll see how it turns out. Um, but I think that at this point evergreen description of Star Wars flick young rebellious girl signs up with rebellion to blow up Death Star this will now be every movie ever made in the Star Wars in the Star Wars canon so that's that's exciting okay time for some things that I hate so last night I was speaking at Penn State and uh, it was shall we say dicey here is here is a taste of what it was like no The reason I say no, I'd be happy to let people in if they're not screaming, but the reason I say no is because it's a fire hazard and the last time people tried to create a fire hazard they pulled the fire alarm in the middle of the lecture. No,
3: we were trying to break down the door. These are
0: our, This is our money. We are students too. This was UPAC funding. We yeah. deserve the right to be in there. That was our funding too. You had the right to let us in. If it was too big, you could have it's moved a fire it outside. Code. Uh, it's a fire code. It's a live stream. You can film me. I don't care. We have a, the right to capacity. be in there. If it's we are a fire students. code. You could have moved it outside. If you wanted to be there, you should have showed up early. You could have moved it outside. You just don't I mean, I wish code would have been outside so It's you can't, you can't. So here's the deal. The <laughs> go room that was too small. This has been happening throughout the throughout the lecture series. Is that crowds they were not expecting have been showing up uh, to my to my speeches. So this room held about 400 people. There were another 250 outside lined up. This also happened at Virginia Tech. It happened at University of North Carolina. It happened at George Washington. Uh, it, it's it's happening pretty much everywhere now, which is cool uh, that people want want to hear the speech. The problem is obviously those people didn't actually want to hear the speech. They were outside, literally shouting, "Shut it down." Right. So if they wanted to come in and sit quietly and listen to the speech and then ask questions, that's perfectly fine. But they didn't want to. They wanted to actually shut it down and maybe commit acts of violence. I mean, there there, there are points during the speech at which these these ideological fascists were pounding on the door, like literally pounding on it, trying to break in. There was one point where a guy broke through and shouted something to the effect of come out here, bitch, which was not something I was inclined to do after he shouted at me, come out here, bitch. That seemed like a, a poor, a poor idea. So this is how things are on campus. If you haven't been watching closely, folks, what's happened to college campuses, this is new. What's happening in the last couple of years is new, and it's much worse than it was even 10 or 15 years ago. I was flattered, however, that these folks decided to to send me some notes. Here's a picture of the notes that they sent me. Uh, there it is. Yeah. So there are the notes. They, they dropped a bunch of notes inside the cracks of the doors, calling me racist and horrible. Um, but I, I know these are nice Valentines, but Really, guys, I'm flattered, but I'm taken. Sorry. Okay, time for a couple of questions from the mailbag, and we'll do what we do every week. So that means that if you are a subscriber, you can see me visually right now, then I'm going to flash a number up on the screen. If you include this number in your mail, then you will be given priority in the mailbag. And we get literally hundreds of emails a week. We get probably 100 emails, fan mails a day. So priority matters. Here is your number. Ooh, okay. Include that in the subject line of your email, and you'll be given priority. All right, okay. So here, here's the mailbag. First, William, he writes, I think the push for a new economic system based on the notion of combating climate change or global warming is terribly flawed. However, I do see, do see a more advanced future in which some of the technologies, environmentalists, and those on the left speak of are main aspects of our lives. How do you suggest we get to that point? Incentives for the private sector, tax breaks, et cetera. I can't see you suggesting more government agencies partaking in the development of new technologies. So, the answer is that, thank God, the market provides impetus for developing more environmentally friendly technology. But they also have to be efficient. So, we did this, by the way. It turns out that that Germany, you know, before they, it's amazing how the environmental left shoots itself right in the foot. Germany used to rely largely on nuclear power, which is totally environmentally friendly. Then there was a campaign against nuclear power and suddenly the number of coal plants in in, in Germany skyrocketed. You can come up with really good technologies, but the left tends to oppose them on, on other environmental grounds because the left's agenda here is not technological advancement, it's the opposite. The left actually wants to return to the living standards of the 1930s, 1920s, because then we can all be more equal. What they're looking for is global economic redistributionism, not development into a cleaner age. If they cared about development into a cleaner age, then presumably they would let the market do its work because technology has been getting cleaner for your lifetime, my lifetime, and our parents' lifetime. This is why the, the gas mileage on your car has been going steadily in the right direction. It's not because of case standards. It's not because of government regulation. It's because there's a demand for cheaper cars that move more ground for, for the same amount of gas. Seth writes, from what you see right now, is Cruz still able to win this election? Would he be able to win in a contested convention? If he did, would the Trump supporters ditch him and cause him to lose in a general election? Okay, so Cruz cannot win outright the nomination. He doesn't have enough delegates. Would he be able to win in contested convention? I think that's the most likely outcome at this point. I think if it's contested, Cruz ends up with the nomination because no one's going to hand it to Trump. And Kasich is just sitting around for no reason because he's a delusional raisin of a man. If, If he did, would Trump supporters ditch Cruz? Maybe they ditch Romney. I don't think all of them would. I think that some of them would. Some of them would unify behind Cruz. Um, But the same worry should hold true for the Trump supporters. There are a lot of Cruz supporters who would not back Trump, including me, because I won't back Trump under any circumstances, as I've mentioned before. Second question from Seth. I've debated with this kid I hardly know a couple of times now. He supports Bernie Sanders. I've shut down all of his arguments. The one thing he hides behind is he states the TAP 1% get tax breaks and loopholes. Is this true? No, that's not true. Tax breaks and loopholes are called deductions. People at the upper echelon tend to take more deductions because they are paying more taxes and spending more money. It's not like there's an income barrier beyond which you get certain tax breaks. That's not how taxes work. There's nothing in the tax code that says you're earning over $400,000 a year. Congratulations. Here's a loophole. That's not how the tax code works. Georgia writes, what is your favorite food? Is it hard to eat kosher on the road? Yes, it is hard to eat kosher on the road. Um, my, th- This is how I stay skinny, essentially. I exercise and going on the road. This is how I stay skinny. Uh, my favorite food, uh, well, I used to really love ravioli. Ravioli is spectacular. I could put away, we used to get frozen ravioli, I'd put away like three bags of that stuff. I'd put away like 30 ravioli at once. They're, they're unbelievable. Sarah writes, do you support Bitcoin? Why or why not? The truth is, I, I really don't know that much about Bitcoin. I I don't oppose alternative forms of currency as a general rule, so long as they're they're verified and so long as there's something backing them. I do like the idea, uh, if the question is about private currency, so long as the government is manipulating currency, I'm fine with the idea of a private currency that's more pegged to current value than whatever Janet Yellen decides this week. James writes, the 11 tactics for destroying leftists in debate are effective, but what strategy would you suggest in softening a liberal's perspective? Not all of them are intrinsically evil, just misinformed. Agreed. You have to meet people on their own level. So the 11 debate tactics that I talk about are debate tactics. They're for debate. For discussion, you have to actually get to the root of what the left is talking about. What do they want? And you can't allow them to stand on moral superiority because leftist perspectives are not morally superior. You can talk about that. Once you get past that argument, once you get past the moral argument where they say I'm moral and you say, no, really, your perspective is not moral. It's immoral. You can argue about the morality itself and you can try to come to some some consensus, which you may be able to do. Uh, or you can move on to the, eff- the efficiency and efficacy of policy. That was sort of the rest of the discussion with Piers Morgan that nobody pays attention to that I had on gun control is me trying to peg him down to policy so that we could come to some sort of consensus. He refused to do it because he didn't know anything about policy. Nick writes, can you please do a short segment on the new lawsuit from the U.S. women's national soccer team? They are suing for wage discrimination. There are a whole bunch of flaws with their argument citing that the women's team gets paid less than the men when the women brought in $20 million more than the men's team. This is misleading because they had a World Cup last year while the men did not, right? This is, this is true. The main point I find troubling is that they are complaining about a payment plan that they set up. Well, yes, uh, you know, you're, you're summing it all up. I mean, the idea is if you don't like the contract, don't sign the contract. I'm seeing that, that women in tennis are complaining about the same thing. Well, we generate revenue, so why shouldn't we get paid the same as men? Well, if you think you should be paid the same as men, then hold out. Hold out. You can do it. I'm not against, by the way, private unions. I'm not against private strikes. What I'm against is kneecapping people who refuse to engage in your strike. So that you can't do. Ramin writes, is the gun control debate still a losing battle for leftists? Yes, it is. There are 300 million guns in the United States and 100 million gun owners. That is a losing battle for the left. Jimmy writes, I saw from your Tuesday and Wednesday podcast, you are away from the West Coast and on the East Coast. I'm from Dover, Delaware, which is near Salisbury, Maryland, and I now live in Brooklyn. As a subscriber, I'm wondering how I can see where you're touring. Uh, All you have to do is go to dailywire.com. We've been covering it in detail. Go to my Twitter feed. I tweet out the periscopes and the videos as they come out. Alex writes, if no Republican nominee receives a majority of delegates during primaries and caucuses, who do you realistically see getting the nomination from a brokered convention? As I say, I think that Cruz will likely be the winner of a brokered convention, because going completely outside the box, that's likely to alienate pretty much anybody. Final one from Jeremy, he writes, what are your thoughts on the argument to be made on immigration into the United States? Why does anyone even focus on the Muslim issue? Doesn't it make the most sense to approach this issue by arguing we should not allow anyone into the country that cannot be properly vetted plain and simple? Yes, yes, and we should have an an a-religious basic philosophy test as well to determine whether you are in line with Western civilization and Western freedoms. And if we can background check you and you agree with those principles and you're not gonna go on welfare, then welcome in and if not then no and that holds true across the board that holds true across the board well folks that's it for the mailbag this week again if you want to write into the mailbag next week write me with this number ooh and uh, and you'll be given top priority have yourselves a merry little weekend we're going to be at university of michigan tonight uh, we are expecting fireworks because it seems that the fireworks follow me because i'm just that hot so it'll be it'll be good times check us out and have yourself a wonderful weekend. We will see you on Monday if indeed you're alive and so am I. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first.